Well, good morning, Northridge Church. Merry Christmas. We are seven days away, seven days away to the celebration of Christmas, Jesus' birth. And let me just say welcome home to each and every one of you. And let me remind you, right, seven days to Christmas, but really five and six days away from our Christmas Eve services. We've got services Friday night and Saturday morning at all of our locations. And so I'd encourage you during this week, grab some invite cards. Man, this this is a season where people are open to Jesus. In the season where many people are struggling, the hope of Jesus is an amazing news for them. And so I'd encourage you as you go to work in your schedule this week, hand out some invite cards, invite some family and friends to come celebrate with us Friday or Friday night or Saturday morning. We'd be honored to have you there. Now, let me set the scene for you. Okay, maybe you are babysitting uh, with a friend, maybe you are at home with your children, maybe you are uh, watching your grandkids, and it's a beautiful night, you've got a cup of coffee, you're relaxing on the couch, and in the background, you hear the kids playing. Maybe they're in the basement, or maybe they're in the playroom, and what's so beautiful to your ears is the kids are playing softly, they're sharing their toys, you can hear the laughter in the background, and it's almost every grandparent, every babysitter's, every parent's dream, like, hey, I'm just going to relax, and I'm just going to listen. So you sit there and you listen to the laughter, you listen to the giggles, you hear their little conversations, it's magical. But as we all know, it doesn't always last. Because what started as giggles and laughter quickly turn to arguments. Argument over a toy, argument over something until all of a sudden you hear boom and tears begin to flow. Screaming starts to happen and so what do you do? You, you quickly put your coffee down trying not to spill it. You go upstairs or downstairs and you say, what happened? Like, what's going on up here? And of course, immediately you get silence. Couldn't be anybody's fault, right? Until one of your kids says, Mom, Dad, I just wanted to be in charge. I just wanted to be the boss of the game. I just wanted to have the new toy. And I wanted it so bad, I was willing to fight for it. You see, that word control, to be in charge, it's something we all crave. And it starts as little kids. And we want it so bad, sometimes we're willing to fight for it. And the truth is, is we see this very concept at the very first Christmas. If you've got your Bibles, Matthew chapter 2. Go ahead and grab your device, your Bibles, jump into the Northridge app. You can take notes, turn to Matthew chapter 2. We're going to spend all morning here looking at one story. And if you haven't been with us over the last couple weeks, we've just been kind of talking about the first Christmas. And in this series called Where Are You Christmas, we, we kind of are seeing at the very first Christmas that there were so many characters that we often don't really zoom in on that were so close to Jesus, and somehow they missed him. So close to Christmas and yet missed its meaning. And today we're going to look at another one, Matthew 2, we pick up the story, it says this, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. 
So the first couple of verses kind of introduce some people to us and set the scene of the story. And you notice that Christmas has already actually come. Jesus has already been born in Bethlehem, and many scholars, theologians believe Jesus is around the age from two down to three months. We don't know exactly how old he is, but we know we can really guess that he's under the age of two. He's still in Bethlehem, and there's these magi. Right? We sing about these magi, these three kings, these astrologers are headed from the east in pursuit of Jesus, this new king. And these guys were called wise men. But I wonder how wise they really are. Maybe they're so smart they lack a little bit of common sense because they show up to the existing king's home asking where the new king is. Just doesn't seem like a really that great of an idea, but they do it anyway. And this old king, his name was Herod, is shocked by this news. In fact, we we know how he responded. The Bible tells us, verse 3, it says, When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. Duh, right? A new king is in his kingdom. In this time frame, that wasn't good news. And we get a little bit of an indication of what kind of ruler that Herod was because look at the very next line. It says, Herod was disturbed, and guess what? All of Jerusalem was with him. So we we get this indication that when Herod was mad or, or disturbed, guess what? He reigned so harshly that all of Jerusalem would feel that weight. And so let's talk about this, this guy, this king named Herod. You see, if if you study Herod a little bit, you'll realize that his official title was Techart, and he ruled over a fourth of his father's kingdom. He ruled over Galilee and Perea, and what's interesting is Herod claimed the title King of the Jews. He was partly Jewish. Even though he was Jewish, he never really gained the love and the affection of the Jewish people. And it would have stung a chord when the Magi came to him and said, hey, we're looking for the king of the Jews. Herod would have thought, wait, wait, isn't that me? And so as you study Herod's life, here's what you'll find out about him. Herod, King Herod, would do whatever he could to protect his kingdom. In this day and age, that's what a lot of kings did. 50% of their job was looking over their shoulder, making sure all the threats were neutralized. And so Herod was a paranoid king. He had family members, sons, his mother-in-law killed because he thought they were threats to his kingdom. That's how crazy of a lunatic this guy was. He built or rebuilt 11 fortresses or palaces as escape plans just in case somebody would come and take over his kingdom. I've been to Israel. Let me show you two of them. Check this out. Listen, those aren't bad for second homes, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) He had 11 of them, 11, just in case he would lose control over his kingdom. 
And so the setting of the scene, I love what Spurgeon says about the, the setting of Matthew 2. It reminds us about Jesus. He says this, the trouble, this trouble is again testimony to the greatness of Jesus. Even as a young child, Jesus of Nazareth is so potent a factor in the world of mind that no sooner is he there in his utmost weakness, a now-born king, than he begins to reign. Before he mounts the throne, friends bring him presents, and his enemies compass his death. And so as we begin to understand who this King Herod is, he hears news of a new king, he's disturbed by it, and so here's where we can land, that King Herod was threatened by King Jesus. And so Herod would do whatever means necessary to get rid of this newfound king. And so he begins his plan. He calls all of his advisors together. He says, I want you to do some studying and I need you to find out where Jesus is. And so they study the prophetic messages in the Old Testament of Jesus and they realize he was going to be born in Bethlehem. And so Herod comes up with his first plan. Verse 7, it says this, then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, Report to me, so I may go and worship him. So Herod sends the Magi on their way. He says, hey, Jesus is going to be in the area of Bethlehem. Go find him. And when you find him, let me know so I can come and worship him too. And it really doesn't take that much of like a Greek theologian to realize Herod had no intention of worshiping Jesus. He had intention to kill him, to get rid of him. But unfortunately, Herod had met his match. He wasn't battling flesh and blood. He was battling the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And what we see in this story is the sovereignty of God for his son's life, but not only his son's life, but your life and my life. At a very young age, people tried to get rid of Jesus, and they failed miserably because God had a plan for you and I to rescue us. And we see the first part of that, verse 12. It says, after being warned in a dream, the Magi did not go back to Herod. They returned to their country by another route. And so Herod's first plan didn't work. And you can imagine as a paranoid king, when you try to get rid of another king and it doesn't work, how he must have felt. Verse 16, it says, when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, Oh yeah, he was hot. He was furious. So what did he do? He gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. So this is where the story gets really sad. That Herod would be willing enough to kill all the baby boys in the region, two and under, because he wanted to maintain control. And Herod had convinced himself, this is it. This will take care of this baby boy king. I'll get rid of him once and for all. But again, God had bigger plans. And God would not be stopped. Verse 13, when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph, Jesus' father, in a dream. He said, get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So Herod's plans were foiled yet again. And what's interesting is we we study the very first Christmas. 
We, we, we list all the characters. When we read the Christmas, at some level in our hearts, we want to be like Jesus. We want to be like Mary. We want to be like Joseph. But the sad reality and the harsh reality for all of us is when we look at the very first Christmas, the character we relate most to is King Herod. And I know that's not the most exciting news to hear, but the truth is, just like Herod in his fight for control, we fight the same battle. How many times in our life are we fighting, maybe in different ways, for the same thing Herod wanted? To maintain control of our lives, to have the final say in the decisions that we make. And guess where we see this? We see this not only in adults, but we see this in our lives when we were just little. I saw this in my kids just last week. You see, one of the things I love about our church is during the holiday season, our stewardship team gives me the ability to honor our staff and their families. Ministry can be a taxing job on, on not only a, a the staff employee, but the families of that staff em, uh, employee. And so uh, during the Christmas season, I, I like to honor the families. And so all of our staff kids got little gifts from us as a church. And so my kids came home and we gave them their gifts. They each got uh, $25 to Target to buy whatever they wanted. And so my kids were ecstatic. They were like, this is amazing. I can't wait. And so, you know, the next day rolled around and my kids were like, yo, when are we going to get to go, we go shopping, and so we kind of scheduled some time, and we got in our car, and we, we, we had the talk with our kids, right? Hey, you've got $25, and guess what? That $25 isn't going to get you a whole lot of nothing, so we went through all the rules, and Ashley and I are like, this is going to be awful. We're going to be in Target for like three hours because our kids can't make a decision, and so we, we pull into the Target parking lot. Ashley and I are already sweating. Our kids are so excited. And I leaned over to my wife and I whispered something to her to make sure she was on the same page as me. And so then I pulled the car in the parking lot. I said, hey, kids, before we go in, I want to make a deal with you. And so I looked at my kids and I said, hey, here's the deal. If all three of you are willing to give me your gift card, I'll buy you a Nintendo Switch tonight. And I looked back in the car and you could see the smoke just flying. (laughs) They were like, what did he just say? And so, you know, they're thinking about it and Malachi is like, yes, yes, dad, I'm ready. You do it, you go, I'm all in. Here's my, he's throwing his gift card at me like, take it, take it. The problem was there were still two more to go. And so I look back at my two daughters, and eventually they both come to this conclusion. Dad, I would rather have control over what I get. I want to have the say in what I get for my Christmas. And what they wanted was just control. And how many of us are just like our children? How many of us are just like Herod, right? We want the say in our lives. And we do it, right? We flesh it out. Herod, he, he just built fortresses to protect himself so he could maintain that control. And we do it the same way. We don't build fortresses, but we build savings accounts and 401ks and investments. We control our relationships because at the end of the day, just like Herod, we trust ourselves more than anybody else with our lives. 
And Herod certainly wasn't ready at the first Christmas to to bow down to some other king, to serve another king, surrender to another king. And so you know what he would do? He would fight for his control. And it's the same fight you and I fight, just in different ways. We fight to control our lives, to hold on to our way and our power, the ability to do whatever we want with our lives, to be the boss. And at the very first Christmas, what Herod does is he reveals a problem that would last for centuries. Problems that would lead us to questions where we all have to wrestle through, right? Do I really want to bow down to this king? Do I really want to obey him? Admit his way is best for my life. Surrender my life and my choices to him. You see, because when it comes to Jesus, all of us will sign up for forgiver Jesus. Right? Jesus is going to forgive my past. Jesus is going to wash away all the regret and the mistakes and the sin that I've chosen that I'm not proud of. He's going to wash that all away. Sign me up for that. But when it comes to signing up for Jesus being the leader of our lives is where we struggle. Jesus, you, you can forgive me. Just don't tell me what to do. Jesus, you can wipe away my past, but you know what? Don't take away my right to choose what I want. But the sad reality is, if you want forgiver Jesus, you have to take leader Jesus. When we trust Jesus with our lives, we are putting our faith and trust in his way and his choice. Because this baby grew older. And he did ministry, and part of his ministry, he told people this. He said, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for me will find it. You see, Herod wasn't ready to lose his life. And so he fought for it. And many of us are not ready to follow Jesus. And so what do we do? We fight for the reins of control. But yet at the very same story, Matthew gives us a picture of a different way through different kings. The Magi show us a different path. Look what it says about the Magi in verse 9. It says, after they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star that they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And coming to the house, they saw the child were with his mother, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. You see, what Matthew does is he shows you two responses to the true king. You can choose to fight for control of your life and not declare Jesus as king, or you can follow the Magi's path where you bow down in reverence and in worship to the one true king. But what Matthew doesn't let you get around is by answering a simple question. Matthew forces you to look at this story and answer one question for your life. Who? is your king. When it comes to your life, who sits on the throne? 
who has the final say. Because as Christians, as followers of Christ, we have to understand one thing. When we surrender our lives to Jesus, we put him on the throne. He is king of our lives. And when it comes to the throne, the truth is, is the throne was never designed to be ours. It was never designed to be Herod's. It's always been Jesus's. And so we have to stop trying to steal something from Jesus that rightfully belongs to him. And so can I ask you today, is Jesus your king? Have you willingly surrendered control to him? Like the Magi, have you bowed down in submission to him? Is he sitting on your throne? Or are you busy fighting him for control, for your voice and your say? And what we have to understand is who is king impacts not just us, but those around us. The king of your life impacts those who are around you. Don't miss this in the story. I think we miss this sometimes. We're so busy looking at Herod and so busy looking at the kings. What we often miss is when Herod rejected Jesus as king, how many people paid the price for it? When Herod was fighting for control, think about how many people, how many little boys died because Herod wanted control. And so maybe a secondary question to ask, not is Jesus your king, but maybe who is suffering because Jesus isn't your king? Who is paying the price because all you want is control over your own life? Is it your family? Your spouse? Your children? Is it your future? So busy chasing after your dreams, you've neglected what God's called you to. Is it your mental health living in anxiety and worry and depression because you failed to let go of control which you can't even have and surrender it to Jesus? Is it your finances? Constantly overspending what you don't have, not willing to surrender what God has given to you? Is it the people around you, like your boss and your coworkers? Because when they look at your life, they wonder what kind of king Jesus is based off of how you live. You see, the truth is, is the way we live our lives directly and indirectly affect the people around us. And when we reject Jesus as king, it causes casualties. So when we think about Christmas, we study this story in Matthew 2, we see this theme of kings and kingdoms. And what I love about the story of Christmas is it reminds us of what type of king Jesus is that there is no other king like Jesus. But Jesus didn't come to demand your worship. He came to earn it. Jesus didn't come for you to pledge your allegiance to him. He came to die in your place for your problem. 
And there's a song I love to listen to this time of year that really challenges us to think differently about King Jesus. And really what it does is it asks questions that compare Jesus to all the other kings and powers and authorities that we know. Let me read you some of the lyrics. It says, how many kings do you know that stepped down from their thrones? How many kings do you know that are willing to abandon their homes? How many kings do you know who are willing to become the least for you? How many kings do you know that have poured out their blood and their hearts to romance and save a world that's been torn apart? How many kings would willingly surrender their son for you? That is King Jesus. And the simple question that Matthew asks you to wrestle with is who? is your king. Who is sitting on the throne of your life? Is it you? This Christmas, I would challenge me and I would challenge you, maybe for the first time, or maybe you just have to redo it where you place Jesus in his rightful place in the throne of your life. Let's pray together. Oh God, I've preached this once and this is my second time and I'm just, I'm honestly just so convicted that so many times in my life where I've put me in the throne where you should sit. When I think of Herod's story, (laughs) unfortunately, it reminds me of mine. Wanting a say, wanting to be in charge of my life, and yet that's the worst thing for me. So God, I pray together, we as a church, this Christmas as we celebrate your birth, that we would recognize what type of king that you are and where you belong in our lives. That you aren't just forgiver, God, but your leader, your Lord, your master. What you say goes, and we bow down, and we gladly worship you as king of our lives. In Jesus' name.